0: You're listening to Geeky Therapy, your audio escape into a safe place complete with comics, superheroes, movies, technology, conspiracies, and whatever else culture has deemed popular for the day. Geeks and non-geeks alike can enjoy in-depth conversation of issues plaguing the geek world with nothing more than a few clicks on your phone. Geeky Therapy is available on most popular homes for RSS feeds, such as Google and Apple Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Beyond Pods, Spotify, and the Anchor app. Get your headphones on, kick back, and relax, because therapy is in session.
1: Good afternoon, sir. How can I help you today? Hello. My name is Scooby-Doo. I have my first therapy appointment today. Okay, wonderful. Well, welcome. I'll have to ask you to fill out a little paperwork before the therapist can see you. For insurance purposes, of course. Here you are. Just fill in the top section, your medical history, and then the presenting problem, and just bring it back to me, okay, hon? Rokey! Retsy! Raym Rupert! Rogue, rogue, rogue! Resenting problem, uh, reparation, anxiety. rhyme Miss Raggy. Readed everything together. Re. wrought bad guys, ran from ronsters. Hid from Ronsters? Relebration snacks? Rad dessert? Rand second dessert? Rand third dessert? (laughs) He was my best friend. But was I his best friend? No. I walk in on him and his girlfriend once and suddenly it's time to get his own place. He rarely calls. It's like the rash 20 years don't exist. Look, it sounds like a sad story, huh? But maybe you should write it on the paper because I've got my own shit to deal with, okay? Huh? Ro, r- I'm sorry. <laughs> Rasshole. <laughs>
0: Welcome, geeks and geekettes, to another episode of Geeky Therapy, the place where all your pop culture related stress and anxiety is magically whisked away for approximately 40 minutes before it all comes crashing back down. As always, I am your friendly neighborhood therapist, and today I will be discussing a black spot in the pop culture world. It is a concept that was introduced sometime in the 1970s, I believe, uh, and it went by the name Retroactive Continuity. Today, I think that we know it better as the retcon. Now the retcon is a really interesting storytelling device. Because it walks a really fine line with the plot twist. And the way that I have always conceived the retcon is it is a plot twist that no one was ever planning for. Uh, You kind of look at storytelling devices that um, revisit something that we considered established in the story... Um, And you have the retcon, you have the plot twist, and then you have plotting consistencies. Um, And the difference between the plot twist and the retcon is the fact that the plot twist is deliberately planned before the fact, and usually will fit within the narrative pretty well. Um, You know, for example, some very popular plot twists, I think, come from a lot of Uh, M. Night Shyamalan's movies, The Sixth Sense, Bruce Willis was dead the whole time, Uh, The Village, they were actually living in present day, um, and the monster was just the townspeople trying to keep people from discovering, you know, the outside modern world, uh, you know, and things of that nature. Um, Those are things that are planned within the story. They're purposeful uh, in the present time of the narrative. A retcon, on the other hand, is something that is deliberately done, but after the fact. We have some sort of established um, storyline point, and later on, someone down the line decides, you know what, this just doesn't work for what I'm trying to do now, or what we're trying to do now, or the story we're trying to tell. So we will do one of kind of four things um, in terms of the different types of retcons to make it to where we just forget it ever happened. So again, the retcon and the plot twist are deliberately planned. One is before the fact, the retcon is after the fact, and then a plot inconsistency is, is really just someone overlooking a continuity point um, and not doing their job. You know? Uh, And those are the types of people that may need a different type of therapy than what I offer here after they get fired due to overlooking some sort of storyline point. I I honestly have never really focused much on retcons. I hear about it a lot in pop culture. Um, I know that there's a lot of retcons within the Star Wars movie universe. Um, And then, of course, within, within comics, retcons are just... They run wild. Um, And so with that being said, it never affected me. I never really cared much. I felt like they were just a natural part of a story that, you know, goes on for for years and years and years and decades, you know, when it comes to comics, uh, that at some point someone's going to miss something or something's just not going to fit in, maybe because of the time period for which it was appropriate Or you had someone deliberately trying to change something that should have never been changed. For example, um, I don't remember when it was. I want to say early 2000s, but I'm going to probably be extremely wrong about that. There was a writer who wanted to retell Spider-Man's origin story. And, And if you don't know who Spider-Man is, just click stop and walk away. Um, but he wanted to retell the story in in a way that Peter Parker was, I, I don't know, you know, kind of the full details of the story, but in, in some way or another, Peter Parker was near like a, a radiation or nuclear testing uh, experiment, and he was bit by a regular spider. Um, and at a similar time, he was exposed to some form of radiation, and that's what turned him into Spider-Man. And now that I'm thinking about it, Spider-Man has a lot of retcons throughout his history. Um, during the original Clone Saga uh, in in comics, it was the story was that. Uh, this person named Ben Riley was the original Spider-Man and Peter Parker was actually a clone of his. Um, And, you know, audiences didn't really latch onto that very well and there was a lot of backlash and they retconned that retcon to have it to where Ben Riley was a clone who was just made to think that he was the original, as I'm sure most clones are. And then with the first retcon I was talking about in terms of Spider-Man's origin story, there were a lot of other details that were changed as well. But that retcon was also retconned. So you do have a lot of times where retcons, um, you know, fail. And so whoever the you know main storyteller is, they have to retcon the retcon. Uh, we will go into a few... I think I have 10 to 12 retcons I'm going to address today. Um, some... From comics and then some from movies. I chose not to include any TV retcons simply because, one, that'd be a lot of work, and two, I'm not as familiar with retcons in TV. I'm much more familiar uh, with retcons in comics more than anything else, but, you know, I do know a few things about some movie retcons, so. So I'll be discussing those later on. But kind of rewinding back and getting back to the retcon itself. So there are four different types of retcons. And they are addition, subtraction, alteration, and temporal compression. Now, addition and temporal compression are probably the most forgiving of the retcons. They don't actually change any uh, currently existing... Plot point or fact about the world a story, you know, which you are being told um, The addition retcon is simply including new facts to support already established plot points um, You know, for example, if you have um, an origin story Um, for some character, and you recognize that you're missing some background details that could be important to better understand the character, and later on, um, they kind of go back in the past and fill in what happened. Uh, Something like that, it wouldn't contradict what's already established, but instead would continue to support whatever... um, iteration or point of the story that that character is in. And what it does, rather than change something, is it, um, rather than change a plot point, I mean, it changes the way that we as the viewer interpret that character or this part of the story or whatever it may be. Temporal compression um, is also really forgiving because it doesn't contradict anything. Temporal compression is actually really weird because it doesn't sound like it's a retcon at all. It means that movies are ignoring real time. They're ignoring the time in within reality, not within their movie. I mean, our time. So, for example, you have, you know, Incredibles came out in 2004. And then 14 years later, they came out with a sequel. Well, within those movies, 14 years has not passed within uh, within the incredible story, while 14 years has passed in reality. So that is really what temporal compression means. And we see that all the time within movies because it better fits the story that we know from uh, said movie or TV show or comic um, rather than having to fast forward 14 years and miss you know that much time of character development and storyline progression the retcons known as subtraction and alteration are probably the ones that people tend to complain about the most those are the ones um, the type of retcons that do contradict delete ignore say screw off to some already established point of the story. So subtraction means that something in the past, something that was already established is simply ignored. It's no longer carried on. Um, I think that we see that uh, in Deadpool. Uh, It completely ignores the first iteration of Deadpool. That we saw on the screen in uh, X Men Origins Wolverine, you know the one where his mouth was sewed shut uh, and he had sword blades come out of his uh, out of his hands. So thank goodness for that. And now we have whatever the name of the newest Transformer that's coming out—not Transformer, sorry—Terminator movie that's coming out, and it's going to ignore Genesis. And everything before it except for Terminator 1 and 2. So that is a subtraction retcon. It's just completely ignoring the events of those movies. Um, The alteration retcon, I think, is the one that throws people for a loop the most. This is the something is added or a plot point is brought up that completely contradict something that happened before, or was never established, and most importantly, never planned to be. I think something that's so interesting about retcons, in particular as opposed to plot twists, is you don't really know something's a retcon until someone tells you it's a retcon. Because we, as the general audience, as the viewer, as the consumer of these stories, Um, We don't know when something's planned or not. We don't know that 15 years later, they had this big plot twist planned, and it shocks us. Until someone says, oh yeah, it was never meant to be that way, then that's the only time that we know, oh, so that's a retcon. Um, But with the alteration retcons, a couple of examples, um, I think probably the most common and no one really thinks about Uh, occurs in horror movies when you have a character that is supposed to be dead. Um, You know them to be dead, and that's kind of the end of it. And then they show up later on, either usually in a sequel or another movie. It's like, wait, weren't you dead? Um, And sometimes they come back to be kind of the saving grace, um, the wild card character. Uh, I think more popularly, uh, in Iron Man 2, I know this is a big one that a lot of people know about. Uh, in Iron Man 2, there's a small child that wears an Iron Man mask that is saved by Tony Stark. And later on, once uh, Spider-Man Homecoming was coming out, Marvel kind of, I don't remember who it was at Marvel, it was probably Feige, stated that that was actually a young Peter Parker. And that was his introduction to the MCU. That was never planned. That was never supposed to be Peter Parker. Marvel didn't have the rights to Spider-Man. Well, didn't share the rights to Spider-Man at that time. They could have never planned for that. So that is another retcon. And, and that one won't draw a lot of slack because it's not like that child had any particular importance to the story before. Um, but, you know... I think there are people who just really dislike change and dislike um, having to reconfigure the way they think about certain stories. So, again, as I mentioned, I have never been one to really think about retcons, never cared about retcons, until a retcon finally happened to a character that I care about. Um, so this year, Marvel decided to retcon the origin of my favorite character. So I'm a huge X-Men fan. That's my, you know, my number one uh, world in regards to comics and superheroes and things of that nature. And my favorite character for 10plus years has always been X23. And since she debuted in 2003 on the X-Men Evolution cartoon, she was a clone of Wolverine. In her origin story in the comic books, throughout her time on X-Force, just all the way up into uh, Logan the movie, she was a clone of Wolverine. And so, spoiler alert for any of you who are currently reading comics, particularly the Hunt for Wolverine. In Hunt for Wolverine Adamantium Agenda Number 4, it is revealed that X23, Laura Kinney, is not actually a clone of Wolverine, but she is biologically his daughter. And she is just a regular human born of egg and sperm, not produced through the splicing of Wolverine's DNA. Um, now, that happened about a month ago, so I've had a lot of time to deal with it and kind of wrap my head around whether I care about this retcon or not. Um, And I actually think that I prefer it. I think it adds to who X-23 is as a character. So Marvel did this big retcon with her origin, uh, and that's what got me thinking about retcons. Uh, so, so let's go ahead and dive into some of the retcons uh, that I have, one, either known or two, kind of educated myself on. I have three good comic retcons. Um not including the X-23 one, which I think I'm deeming as good. Uh, the first one is that at some point in Batman's uh, comic book origin, it was noted that Batman's parents' murderer was discovered and he was a criminal named Joe Chill and um, it, I think, the purpose of it maybe was to allow Batman to have some sense of closure in regards to that um, pivotal moment in his history and I don't remember if it was in uh, New 52 maybe that uh, DC was like nope we're not gonna do that because that's dumb. And the reason is, is because Batman's entire identity as Batman, the whole purpose of it, not only evolves from the fact that his parents are murdered, but two, that it remains a an unsolved crime. Um, and that you know Batman is continuing to fight against the injustice not just of his parents murder in itself but the fact that it remains unsolved and so when they kind of went back on that I don't think it made a lot of sense for Batman's story so now in present day Batman's parents murder is a mystery once again To continue on with Batman, um, so as I was doing my research, I discovered that Batman has a lot of retcons throughout his history, and he actually has some of the better ones, um, particularly related to the character of Batman. Uh, I will be discussing some shitty retcons that come from Batman's universe, uh, particularly related to Mr. Freeze. When uh, Alfred Pennyworth, Bruce Wayne's butler, was originally introduced, he was employed by Bruce once Bruce was already an adult. And if that storyline had been maintained, I think we would lose a lot of the humanity um, of Bruce Wayne because... I think if you know almost anything about Batman, you know, we have the saying that Batman is the true identity and Bruce Wayne is the mask. Um, Because with his parents' murder and then his vendetta against crime in Gotham, Bruce would probably just stay Batman Um, he would probably even just kill off Bruce Wayne just so he could be Batman, um, without any regard to his his life as a regular citizen of Gotham. Um, No relationships, uh, no interpersonal closeness. uh, Not running uh, Wayne Enterprise. Uh, You know, Alfred as a. Father figure, I believe, is the anchor to Bruce's humanity. And it wasn't until 1986, in Dark Knight Returns, that Frank Miller retconned Alfred being employed by an adult Bruce Wayne and him being his butler when he was a child. You know, that allows that father figure... Um, concept to build. It allows the relationship between Bruce and Alfred to be fleshed out a lot more. And it increases the emotional stake that the two characters have on each other. Now to jump to Marvel. So Bucky Barnes and Captain America. I think that we know whether you are a comic reader or just a fan of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, that Captain America was frozen at the end of World War II, and he was unfrozen in modern times. That's kind of the big plot point of his story. And also that his best friend, Bucky, um, was presumed dead, And comes back again in present time, introduced as a villain known as the Winter Soldier. In their original comic run, Bucky and Cap didn't die or get frozen or anything of that nature. The war ended and then they came home and did their own thing. Um, Bucky's story actually wasn't expanded very much at all once he came home. Steve Rogers, once the war ended, became a teacher and would still fight crime as Captain America, just nothing really big, no great villains or anything along those lines. Um, So their lives went on and they lived normal vigilante lives. But then in... Nine, in the 1960s uh stanley wanted captain america back in comics and so in order to make that happen he retconned the history following world war 2 and then how captain america's um ending came about so stan lee was the one who introduced captain america not making it out of world war ii and seemingly being killed um as well as with bucky um but with stan lee he only brought back captain america as someone who was a man out of time which has you know really driven a lot of Captain America stories in the modern age. Uh, in regards to Bucky, I believe it was Baker who brought Bucky Barnes back as the Winter Soldier in the mid-2000s. So, I think it's just really weird to think of Captain America and Bucky Barnes leading normal lives, fighting crime. Jumping ship to some not-so-great retcons in comics, you have a... almost a... It it is a double retcon, um, in a way. So, this retcon is in regards to Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch. So, when Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch were first introduced, they were the kids of... Miss America and the Whizzer, um, the Whizzer. So that's a cool name. That's real schnazzy. And then it just, for some reason, uh, with a name like the Whizzer, I don't think it's hard to, uh, recognize why, but it just didn't sit well with Marvel writers and so what they did in an Avengers issue was retcon that origin and confirm that Wanda and Pietro were the children of um, a woman named Magda. And then at the same time, in an issue of X-Men, they had Magneto reflecting upon his dead wife, who was named Magda. So, you know, you kind of make that connection. It's like, oh my goodness, Vision and Scarlet Witch are Magneto's children. But then, as film rights and TV rights and things of that nature really started influencing the direction that Marvel was taking its comics and them uh, wanting to use Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch in their movie universe, but not having the rights to the X-Men. In the comics, they retconned the second origin and it was you know discovered that Magneto was not actually their father. And then they went even further to have uh, Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch not be mutants, I think think they were trying to explain them off as in humans, you know, the, uh, dollar store X-Men. So that was just a huge clusterfuck. Um, but that's a good example of politics influencing comic stories. Another real (laughs) shitty one was, uh, again, Marvel, uh, writing this, um, Spider-Man miniseries called Troubled, and they tried to write it off as though Aunt May, you know, Peter Parker's surrogate mother, who comes to have custody of Peter after his parents are killed or disappeared or, depending on what version of Spider-Man you're reading, um, are no longer in the picture. Um... They wrote this story where Aunt May was a little bit of a wild lady um, and would sleep around a bit. And she ended up sleeping with Peter's father at some point and actually gave birth to Peter. Um, and so while Peter knew her as Aunt May, she was biologically his mother. No one liked that. That was shitty. And that was retconned. So, uh, yeah, let's not do that ever again. Uh, but don't worry. I have some shitty ones by DC too. I actually have three of them because, uh, I couldn't just pick one. And then I have... Actually, one more of my Marvel. Let me uh, let me actually just go ahead and do the last Marvel one. In um, probably the second or third most popular comic book storyline involving the X-Men, uh, the Dark Phoenix saga. And I say second or third because I think Age of Apocalypse is probably going to stay number one, and I think some people would argue Days of Future Past is up there, but for me... Dark uh, Rise of the Dark Phoenix, uh, the Dark Phoenix saga. I mean, is number two. Uh, so you have this epic tale of character development with Jean Grey, in which she taps into this immense power uh, from this cosmic entity known as the Phoenix Force, and from experiencing this immeasurable power. And then slowly descending into madness after becoming corrupted by the Hellfire Club to become the Dark Phoenix. Uh, and you have this internal battle with, within the Dark Phoenix with Jean Grey not wanting to be this entity because of the damage that she causes and the pain and suffering that she causes. She chooses to end her life so that she would never become Dark Phoenix again. And it really is a very intimate story. And Marvel just couldn't keep it that way. Um, Which is probably uh, an ode to, or an homage, to the biggest retcon type in all of comics, and that is the comic book death. Um, Almost all of them are retconned, albeit for maybe one or two. Um, And so you have the phoenix kill herself, and then later on you discover, nah, Jean didn't actually die. Jean Grey was actually in a cocoon of psychic energy beneath the Hudson uh, Bay. And the entity that was extinguished was the phoenix force... uh, the physical embodiment of the Phoenix force. And it just took the form of Jean gray. Um, so that allowed, you know, Jean gray to kind of come back, uh, later in the, in the series. And it's not that it was a bad retcon. I put it under kind of the shit list because of how beautiful the story was. And it kind of was a slap in the face to the dark Phoenix saga story, but moving into DC. So, DC's, again, it usually has a lot to do with Batman, but this time I only have one out of three is related to Batman. So the, so the Batman one is that um, at some point in Mr. Freeze's stories, um, they retcon, writers retcon that uh, his, his wife, Nora, um, you know, that's kind of the whole the driving force behind um Mr. Freeze's character is that his wife is deathly ill, uh, and so he cryogenically freezes her and has to figure out how to heal her and, and bring her back. Um and so they wrote this story and had Mr. Freeze be a doctor who's has a patient named Nora. And he became madly obsessed with her and froze her and did all of this stuff and considered her his wife rather than Nora actually being his wife. And I think at this point that has been re-retconned to go back to the original origin story, but I'm not 100% sure on that. Another retcon was – it's actually a really interesting one – in DC's New 52 universe – Um, You know, the Amazons and Wonder Woman are usually personified as strong and virtuous and noble and better than us. Um, But in New 52, they had uh, the Amazons raping human men to have their babies so that their race could continue. Um, I don't think rape sells very well, so... It's probably another reason why the New 52 did not last very long. New 52 also, um, to go to another point, New 52 also retconned itself. So the whole New 52 storylines, New 52 was retconned itself by being uh, identified as an experiment by Watchmen character Dr. Manhattan. That's one way to uh, let the fans know that they heard how crappy their comic writing was. So now I'm going to move into the movie retcons and I'm not going to spend too much time talking about them. I was much more interesting, interested in the comic retcons primarily because comics are stories that have survived decades. Um, you know, and so I always think it's interesting what changes are made and what things have to be done from a plot point, uh, standpoint in order to continue some of these stories. Um, Whereas movie retcons, you know, it, it's normally done within a smaller amount of time. Uh, so I'm not going to spend too much time on them, but first I'm going to start with, uh, talking about Spider-Man a little bit more. Um, just real quick in, uh, the, uh, often forgotten Spider-Man three from Sam Raimi's Spider-Man trilogy, um, with, uh, emo Peter Parker and, uh, crappy Venom, um, I think the shining star in that movie is actually Sandman. Um, They really told a really good heartfelt story uh, in that. Um, But they retconned Spider-Man's origin story in that movie by having uh, Flint Marco, Sandman, being the one who killed Uncle Ben and having it be an accident. So... I think that's the way they wanted to introduce uh, Sandman into into the movie universe and establish him as a sympathetic character. But it retconned his story as you know Uncle Ben being killed by you know gangster A um, that Peter feels responsible for because he could have stopped him prior to the event happening. So I promise, last time I'm talking about Spider Man, um, Star Wars. So I think I I alluded to, or just straight up mentioned earlier, that Star Wars is widely known for having all kinds of retcons. And I hope you remember when I said, what I find so interesting about the retcon is you don't know a retcon's a retcon until someone tells you it's a retcon. Star Wars has two of those moments. The first is that in the original script for Star Wars, Darth Vader... Was not going to be Luke's father. Uh, spoiler alert for anyone who doesn't know the biggest plot twists in Star Wars uh, history. It's not a plot twist, it's a retcon. Darth Vader was never intended to be Luke's father, um, and he was actually to have killed Luke's father at some point in the past, which is the way, you know, Obi Wan tells the story to Luke. Um, you know, Darth Vader took. Anakin away from Obi-Wan. Now, I I get that that can still make sense linguistically, you know, Obi-Wan, and I think they go on to kind of try and retcon that part with Obi-Wan saying, you know, know, what I mean by that is, of course, you know, figuratively speaking, he did take, you know, your father away from me and stuff like that, but uh, I thought it was a little ridiculous, that part, having kind of Obi-Wan try to explain away how he would describe the story. Um, but yeah, so Darth Vader was never intended to be Luke's father. And second, there was actually a separate character that was going to be created to be Luke's sister. And the reason that it was rewritten was because the writers, or maybe it was just George Lucas himself, but someone did not like the love triangle between Han, uh, Luke and Leia. They didn't want a love triangle scenario. Um, But they knew they did want Han and Leia together. So they scrapped the whole Luke and Leia romance uh, and then just made her his sister. Which I thought, you know, turned out really well. But um, that is actually a retcon. Also, I think, and now I'm not a big Star Wars fan, but I thought the stupidest retcon was in... Uh, episode one, The Phantom Menace, how they explain the Force. Um, you know, in the original trilogy, episodes four, five, and six, the Force is is kind of known and described as kind of this this supernatural uh, force, and it's almost it's very religious in nature, um, and it didn't really have a lot of explanation, but it worked, and it was cool and magical. Um, And then in The Phantom Metis, they had to give it some sort of biological um, explanation that, you know, someone's connection to the Force is determined by these microorganisms and how many they have of them in their bloodstream called midichlorians and a bunch of hoopla. That was just stupid. Why the hell would you do that? The Force was the Force, and it was fine the way it is. We didn't need explanation. And again, it was very religious in nature in the sense that it was more based on faith. You know, it doesn't need evidence. It's just, it's based on someone's faith. So I really wasn't a fan of that one. Let's move into some horror movies. A couple of horror movies. Um, and I never really think about this. Um, but Friday the 13th, part two, is really a big slap in the face to the first Friday the 13th. Because the entire driving force of that plot is that Jason is dead and his mom is getting revenge on the camp and camp counselors for neglecting him um, and letting him drown. And then in Friday the 13th Part 2, Jason is, is, well, at the end of Friday the 13th, you know, he kind of comes out the water and it's like, oh shit, Jason's not dead. And so Friday the 13th Part 2 is like, all right, who cares that Friday the Friday the 13th happened? It doesn't matter. His mom did all that for nothing. So it makes the first Friday the 13th really pointless. Um, and, you know, Friday the 13th has gone on to be one of the most successful horror franchises, and I'm not, I'm not necessarily downing that decision, but it really does retcon the entire driving force of the first movie. Then you have Halloween, which is... Uh, My bread and butter for, uh, horror franchises, you know, Michael Myers, number one all the way. Um, but in Halloween H2O, which a lot of people don't like, but continues to remain one of my favorite Halloween movies. Um, they completely pulled the mulligan on, uh, Friday, um, not Friday. Sorry. I'm still on that track of mind. Halloween four, five, I think it's four and five. Um, and then maybe even six. I don't remember when uh, H2O is... I think H2O is six, because I think Resurrection is seven. So it ignores four and five, um, which introduces Michael Myers' niece, and the curse, um, kind of the cult uh, storyline of the, uh, the curse of Thorn and trying to explain his, uh, trying to explain Michael's, um, kind of supernatural powers. Uh, no, it was four, five, and six. Yeah. Four, five, and six because H2O is seven and then resurrection was eight. That's right. Um, So it explains away four, five, and six. It completely just disregards it all. There is no niece anymore. Uh, Michael Myers is not supernatural. Um, He's just uh, really perseverant and very clever at faking his death. Um, So I'm not complaining about that. Uh, As much as I enjoyed kind of the introduction of Michael's niece, the cult thing was really weird, and I wasn't... uh, I wasn't a big uh, proponent for the Curse of Thorn. And then also having his niece kind of becoming him, you know, uh, having her kind of take on the curse in a way and becoming a murderer herself. uh, I just didn't feel like that was a really good storytelling. I thought it was a really cheap way of continuing the legacy. So um, that one I'm actually a fan of. And then lastly, um, I haven't watched Creed yet. You know, I know, poo-poo on me. Um, I was a huge Rocky fan, but I, I haven't watched Creed yet. But as I was reading about it, they, uh, they retconned the character of Apollo. You know, um, in the Rocky movies, um, you know, I think the Rocky movies in general, you know, they were kept very simple, very basic. It was an underdog story. Um, they didn't really pollute it with a lot of uh, side stories or interpersonal drama outside of anything directly related to Rocky. And so Apollo, for me, was always uh, personified as being, you know, uh, good hearted, um, being patriotic, you know, things of that nature. Um, qualities that are generally deemed positive. And then with Creed, and the character of Creed, they're kind of saying, you know, hey, uh, Apollo had an affair and has an illegitimate son. And I think that kind of really goes back on what we knew about Apollo Creed from the Rocky movies. Um, and then, second, you know, at the end of uh, Rocky 4, you get kind of the, the unofficial rematch between Rocky and, and Creed. And you know it, it ends on that still frame of Rocky and Creed kind of punching each other, and you never really know who wins. And then you find out uh, Apollo won, and which is why he agreed to fight I, Ivan Drago, which is, of course, you know what, what ends up ending his life uh, because he he beat Rocky, so he figured he was the best chance to to beat Drago. Um, which they didn't even explain that in in Rocky Five. I mean Rocky Three. I'm sorry. I got my Rockies mixed up. All this stuff, it was at the end of Rocky 3 because Rocky 4 was the uh, Ivan Drago fight. So, but that's what I meant. You guys know what I meant. You guys know better than I do. Um, But yeah, so in in Rocky 3 was when all the stuff, you know, they're saying kind of with Creed happened. And then, you know, in Rocky 4, they kind of explained They never explained why Apollo agreed to fight Drago, you know, because we're thinking, oh, Rocky's the best chance to fight him. Um, But then in Creed, they kind of go back and say, well, actually, well, it was Apollo who won that fight. And so that's why he fought Ivan Drago. I don't know. That got really confusing. And I thought that they did like way too much. Again, I haven't watched Creed. I heard it's a good movie. And I'm sure if I watched it, I would very much enjoy it. But In terms of the storytelling, um, I think they strayed a lot from kind of the basic, simplistic underdog story that I think made Rocky um, so successful. Uh, Minus, of course, the soundtrack, because Eye of the Tiger can get anyone pumped up. Um, So, so yeah, that's it about retcons. Um, Again, uh, it's not a concept I really think very much about, but it is very prevalent and very controversial uh, in the world of pop culture. And I encourage you to uh, educate yourself on some retcons that may be relevant to characters or stories that you care about. And so that's all the time we have for today's Geeky Therapy Session. A reminder that when the world tries to weigh you down, the best medicine is always to stay geeky.